Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and third brother, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Jesus replied, You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry or be given a marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowd heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. This is the gospel of Christ. Let's keep that um, passage open if you have a Bible. Um, Why don't we pray, and then we'll have a look at it. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words of Jesus on the resurrection. Uh, And Lord, in some senses, they they surprise us. Uh, They're not what we expect for many of us. And so we pray you would help us to understand as as Jesus speaks. Uh, Please give us understanding this morning. Help us to respond rightly to these words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a quote uh, by a guy named John Piper, uh, and it goes like this. Bad theology dishonours God and hurts people. Bad theology dishonours God and hurts people. Uh, And it's a quote that highlights something which can be a bit of a a blind spot to Christians at times. Uh, Theology is, of course, the the study of God. But if you study God, if you think of God in ways that aren't accurate, in ways that aren't true, you'll end up doing two things. One, you will bring bring dishonour to God, claiming things about him that simply don't line up with his character. And two, you'll end up hurting others, leading them astray as a result of the things you hold to. Bad theology dishonours God and hurts people. Uh, Some of us may have been unfortunate enough to have felt the effects of that in our lives. Uh, In Jesus' day, this was the impact of a number of the religious groups in Israel. And we come across one of these groups this morning in our reading, a group known as the Sadducees. We don't know much about them, but there's one defining feature which comes up most of the times that they're mentioned in the Bible. The Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in eternity, which meant that they thought there was no judgment to come. There would be no rewards or or punishments beyond this life. What you see here is all you get. It's very different to the gospel that Jesus came and revealed, isn't it? The resurrection in Jesus' teaching is, is something of the highest importance. Jesus is the one who says there is an afterlife, and it's only through him that you will make it to heaven. Now, aware of, of Jesus' different views, the, Sadduce- the Sadducees approach him, and they, they look to make a mockery of him by asking him a question about the resurrection. And as we work our way through the passage, uh, it challenges some of our own beliefs regarding uh, beliefs about God in terms of the resurrection. It asks us to to listen to God in regard to the resurrection and to trust his words to us. Uh, We're looking at a chapter where there are are four different debates between Jesus and these religious leaders of the day and uh, last week we saw this cunning plan from the Pharisees and the Herodians to try and 
trap Jesus in his words. This week it's the Sadducees, and we read right away that they say there is no resurrection. So if they don't believe in a resurrection, then why do they ask such a detailed question about it? Like the Pharisees last week, they've got caught, uh, they think they've caught Jesus out. And you can kind of just, just picture them sitting there around a table, coming up with this question, testing the question on each other. There's no way he'll be able to answer this without looking like a complete fool. This is the question that will bring about his downfall. We, we finally got him. So when they see this opening, that they approach him. Teacher, they say, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. And what they're referring to is a, a passage in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 25, which says, If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside of the family. Her brother, her husband's brother, shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. So, so these words of Moses and Deuteronomy are the basis of their questions to Jesus, their question to Jesus. Uh, it's actually similar to what you see play out in the book of Ruth. When Ruth's, husband, when Ruth's husband dies, she eventually ends up marrying one of, her, one of his relatives, who of course is Boaz. And back then it was a good thing. It was a way of caring for a widow, ensuring that she's looked after. So they quote Deuteronomy, and I assume this is a, a hypothetical question, but it really doesn't uh, say. There were seven brothers. The first one got married and died, but he hadn't had any children, so the next brother married the wife. And it's an unlucky family because each of the brothers die one after the other without having a child. And after all of that, the woman dies. Now the question, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? And the answer, it's the third. It's always the third. No, it's not. Uh, I should say that for some here... uh, who have, who have been widowed and, and remarried, you might genuinely wonder what the answer to this question is. Who will our spouse be at the resurrection? And it's a fair question which, which they ask and, and Jesus answers. Instead of answering their question directly, Jesus points out two mistakes that they've made. And then he offers them two corrections. Two mistakes, two corrections. The first mistake is that they don't understand the Scriptures. And they might have had something to to say about this accusation of not understanding the Scriptures because to be a Sadducee was was to know and love Scripture. But their problem was that they only believed the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy or or the Torah or Pentateuch as they're also known. They only held to the teaching of, of those five books. They refused to accept the rest of God's Word which meant they ignored passages such as Isaiah 26 which says... Uh, but your dead will live, their bodies will rise, you who dwell in the dust will wake up and shout for joy. Or, or even more clearly, Daniel 12, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Uh, passages like this and other parts of the Old Testament were not, for, were not from God as far as a Sadducee was concerned, which is quite different to the view that Jesus took as he regularly quoted the Old Testament. It would make life much easier, only needing to consider the first five books of the Bible, but it's simply not 
the whole of God's word, not the whole picture of what God intends for us. Only holding to a, a small part of God's unfolding plan won't ultimately help us. Now, I'm not a great cook, but from time to time, uh, I know how to follow a recipe. But if I were to, to follow, say, 25% of a recipe, I can guarantee you that the outcome wouldn't be pleasant. You, you wouldn't want to eat it. Uh, what's my point? If, if you look at the length of the first five books of the Bible, it's about a quarter of the Old Testament, which means by ignoring the rest of the Old Testament, that the Sadducees are ignoring almost three quarters of God's word to them at the time. And when you ignore parts of God's word, and you can be sure that you're going to draw the wrong conclusions. Know the scriptures, look at them in their entirety. Uh, for us today, God has given us the New Testament as well. Uh, and it's daunting when, when you see the size of a Bible. But as we work through it, bit by bit, uh, it's exactly what we need. To see God's plans so that we can work out where we fit in. So where the Sadducees fail, let that be a lesson of the importance of understanding the whole counsel of God's word. Because if you don't understand the word of God, then it's, it's very likely you're going to end up asking all the wrong questions of life and of God. It will cost you in the life to come. And you only need to look at society today to see the ways that this is true. The majority of people ignore the word of God and look where it's leading them. To put it mildly, it, it's nowhere good. So that's the first mistake, not knowing or understanding the word of God. The second mistake that the Sadducees make is that they fail to see the power of God. And I take it this is one of the consequences of, of failing to listen to all of Scripture. They end up denying the power of God. They essentially deny that God is capable of, of resurrecting people who have died. Now we're in a, a much better position than them to see that. It's something that Jesus was about to make abundantly clear to them in the next week. But even after Jesus dies and, and rises three days later, even after he appears to over 500 people, even after he ascends to heaven, we read in the book of Acts that the Sadducees continue to deny the resurrection and the power of God. Acts 26 uh, verse 8 says this, Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises from the dead? The same God who, who simply spoke and created this world that we live in, who formed man out of dust, the same God who holds the world and, and sustains everything in it. Should it really come as a surprise that he has the power to resurrect the dead? Sadducees try and rob God of his power. So, so those are the, the two mistakes they make. They don't understand the scriptures or the power of God. And so Jesus corrects them. Uh, and in verse 30 we see uh, two ways, the first of two ways he corrects their wayward thinking. But what he says next shocks many of us. Uh, it shocks me as I, as I think about my own marriage. At the resurrection, people will not marry or be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Maybe this uh, verse is proof that single people who are, single people who are among us are, are smarter than the rest of us. Uh, it comes as a shock because for many married couples, it, it's fairly rare for, for both of them to die at the same time. And when a spouse passes away, many of us will hold on to the hope that we will one day be reunited with them, that our marriage will be even better in heaven. So these words of Jesus, they, they take us back slightly, don't they? And one thing to note is that these aren't comprehensive words about 
heaven and, and what will happen for married couples. This is a, a response to a, a very specific question and situation. But we can't get around the fact that it does say, no one in heaven will marry or be given in marriage. Uh, and for some of us, that, that will be absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, the thought of not being married to the person that we love most. But what we can and, and what we should take from this, I think, our, our relationship with God in heaven will be like uh, the relationship between God and the angels. That's what it says. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what Jesus means here, uh, but my guess is that there are apparent differences between us and the angels, uh, perhaps in terms of closeness to God, how we relate to him. The angel's relationship to God isn't affected by sin. Uh, it's, I don't think it's saying that, that all our earthly relationships will no longer exist or, or that you will never see your spouse again. What it seems to be saying is that the way we relate to one another in heaven will be different. Heaven isn't just a, a continuation of everything that's good in this life. In the same way, what, what he's not saying is this, that, that in heaven you will be less happy, less fulfilled than you were when you were married on earth, if you are married. He's not speaking negatively about heaven. He's just pointing out that, that relationships, in this case, the marriage relationship, will be different. So we need not be discouraged by the words of Jesus here. Now, as hard as they may be to hear, uh, we should instead look forward to heaven because in heaven we will be perfectly loved. Something the angels get to appreciate now, something I think we all long for. And even the, the best of marriages in this life won't compare to the love of God that we will experience. Marriage is something that is temporary, definitely not as, as temporary as the world we live in would have us believe, but temporary in that it is only for this life, not for eternity, because earthly marriage will give way to the eternal marriage between Christ and his bride, the church. And I think this is actually an encouragement to all Christians, because many of us, I think, fall into that trap of, of idolizing marriage. Uh, I know when I was single, I did a similar thing. I thought I had to to be married in order to find fulfillment in this life. Uh, but I'm so thankful for, for other Christians who showed me that simply wasn't the case and they showed me from Scripture. We remember people like the Apostle Paul who was a single man or, or even Jesus, fully human and yet never married. Now Jesus, he corrects the Sadducees by showing that there is no marriage at the resurrection. The next way Jesus corrects the error in the Sadducees' thinking is by taking them to the book of Exodus, which is one of their own approved books. And he quotes from Exodus chapter 3, where, where God is speaking to Moses, and he says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now at this point of time, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are, are long dead. But God doesn't say, I, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I am the God. I am their God. And as Jesus explains, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. These are, of course, uh, three, mans who, three men who, three mans, that sounded funny, didn't it? Uh, three men whom God made a covenant with and who he, he made these promises to. Abraham initially, then, then his son Isaac, and finally his son Jacob, who would become the father of, of this nation of Israel, God's people. And even though they were dead, God continues to be their God, meaning God's covenant with his people, God's promises to them, they are not stopped by death. Uh, one person puts it like this. 
Faith in God includes the certainty of conquering death. Faith in God includes the certainty of conquering death. That is what Christians have believed through history and continue to believe, as God has revealed it. Uh, And it's a bit of a a master stroke by Jesus. He could have quoted from other parts of the Old Testament, but of course they wouldn't have necessarily listened as much as they did to this. So he shows them in a way uh, they will understand and be able to engage with by quoting from the very words that they know and love. Uh, And I think this is a, a great lesson for the church today when we speak with others, because times are changing. The things that people value are changing. Things that the majority once held to have, have now become minority positions. And as Christians, we find ourselves moving, moving further and further away from the culture around us. And so we need to work hard to engage with a culture that is, by and large, opposed to the message of the gospel. Of course, there are some things that, that never change. The human heart is still drawn to sin, but for the work of Christ... But we need to think about the areas where we can engage with those around us. What are some of the things that we know people care about deeply? What are some of the the stumbling blocks to faith in Jesus for them? And how does the the message of the gospel challenge their views? Uh, I'm just asking the questions. I don't necessarily have the answers. But Jesus engages with the Sadducees based on his awareness of, of where they're at. Now, obviously, we can't see hearts in the way that Jesus can, but it's a wonderful example for us as we seek to reach others with the message of the gospel. Try and understand where where those around us are coming from. Uh, And I take it that means we we need to work hard to listen to them well. Now, when Jesus finishes speaking, there's a crowd around, and they're astonished at what he has said, overwhelmed by his teaching. And if you were here last week, you remember a similar response from, from the Pharisees and the Herodians. And I think the reason Matthew points out these kind of responses again and again and again is to show that there's a difference between being amazed or being astonished by what Jesus does or says and actually putting your faith in him. Because being astonished, it doesn't last. In a few days, astonishment and amazement are going to become anger as the crowds demand that Jesus be crucified. You see, amazement that doesn't lead to faith is worth very little. And if you look at the world today, or or even in the past, people are often amazed by Jesus and his teaching. Uh, I remember giving a a guy in my cricket team a ride once, and and he saw a Bible in the back of the car, and he said he loved the bit about taking the plank out of your own eye and seeing clearly enough to remove the speck from someone else's eye. And there there are many more things that that Uh, Jesus says that that people are drawn to in a similar way. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Let him who is without sin be the first to cast the stone. But of all the things that, that Jesus teaches on, it's the resurrection that is the biggest stumbling block to faith for so many. See, we love Jesus's moral teaching. We like the respect and, and some of the things that it teaches our kids, but a resurrection, that's probably a step too far. It's impossible. And like the Sadducees, so many in our world, and perhaps even in our churches, fail to understand the Scriptures and the power of God concerning the resurrection. What about you? Are you taking God at His word when He says that you will one day be raised up for eternity? 
we don't believe God about the resurrection, then we're essentially saying that he doesn't care about this world or the people in it, which couldn't be further from the truth. This is the, the God who sent his son to die for us. The God who raised Jesus so that one day we will be raised. So that death wouldn't have the last word. See, the resurrection is proof of God's love for his people. It should help us see that love uh, so clearly. And it should help us see his commitment to us. Just as he continues to be the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the resurrection of Jesus reminds us that he will continue to be our God, even as we go from this life. To eternity and that should be a, a great source of comfort for each of us we can be so afraid of death at times can't we so so paralyzed by the thought of it and the sadness that surrounds it and the sadness of, of death is part of how God has has wired us but the resurrection gives us hope the resurrection changes the way we view many things in this life many of us are, are tempted to retreat when life is difficult and when we go through things that make us feel weak the resurrection reminds us that that these things are temporary that instead of retreating we can draw near to god and to his people uh, the very ones we, we need encouragement from amid our struggles uh, there's an old saying laugh and the world laughs with you weep and you weep alone the resurrection changes that for Christians. We weep together knowing that Jesus also wept at the state of this world and the things that we must endure. But we also weep knowing that one day our tears will be wiped away as we are embraced by our loving Heavenly Father. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And if we trust Jesus, then, then we can be assured. Our God is powerful and will keep his word to raise us for eternity a promise of god that that death cannot break he is our god we are his people uh, let me pray that we would keep trusting jesus and, and look forward to the day when we will be raised to glory heavenly father we thank you so much uh, for your word to us the, the whole of scripture thank you that you have uh, reveal to us your plan for this world uh, and your plan for each of us. Father, we thank you for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, which uh, assures us that we too will one day be raised. Father, please would you be with us, uh, particularly as we, as we go through this life, uh, amid all the struggles, amid all the challenges, even through the joys. Uh, help us to remember the resurrection now that awaits us, help us to keep trusting the Lord Jesus through all we face. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to sing a, a timely song now. The song is called Resurrection.